I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. I wanted to start by asking you a question, see if you remember this, because I've said this before. I think this is like a verifiable stat, but what's the world's biggest criticism of Christians? Hypocrisy, right? The world's biggest criticism of the church is that you say things and you, not, you do not do those things. You say to live one way and you do not live that way. You say one thing and you do another. You talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. This is the, the world's biggest criticism of the church. And uh, guess what? This is also Jesus' biggest criticism of his people. And uh, you may remember last week, this is what the story was all about. Jesus walks into the temple, and things have gotten off course, and he's not having it. Uh, Our passage this week actually starts with the same phrase that the passage last week started with. It starts with this, Jesus entered the temple courts. So just imagine what's happened here. Jesus has, he's like done the Bobby Knight thing in the temple courts. He's overturned the table, thrown out the people exchanging money and selling doves, and he's so upset that he leaves for the night, goes back to Bethany, and returns the next morning, right? And when he returns, he probably leaves the temple alone, right? Because he's trying to keep his distance. That's what I would do if I had just lost it, but not Jesus. What did Jesus do? Just as he deconstructs the temple, he's willing to reconstruct the temple, and I've said this, that we, we live in a period of deconstruction of Christian faith, and I, I think Jesus was a deconstructionist. But the good thing about Jesus, he didn't just deconstruct, he reconstructed. This is uh, good news for us today. So Jesus is sitting here and he's reconstructing the temple system with his teaching. We find Jesus teaching. And this marks the beginning of a, what's going to be a three-part mini-series, so the last three weeks we, we, lot, we saw a picture of who is Jesus, what was his identity, and coming up here, we are going to see what does true faith look like in the next three stories. In fact, the next three stories are going to include parables, which as we know, is one of Jesus' favorite methods for teaching. So in this series, Jesus is going to reconstruct his church. He's going to reconstruct it around faith in his person, in himself. And he'll do this by, by using the three parables. The, today's parable is about two sons. Next week, a friend of ours, David Jansen, is going to come preach about two different types of farmers. And then finally, on August 20th, we'll hear a story about two types of guests at a wedding banquet. If you want to read ahead, you're welcome to. Uh, so today's uh, teaching begins with uh, the key frame for receiving all three parables and truly understanding what true faith is. The first story is a story about authority. I believe it's a key frame for understanding all these parables. So Jesus has, he's disconstructed the temple system, and now he's back reconstructing it through his teaching. 
Essentially, Jesus said, this is fruitless faith that we see here. Let me show you what true faith actually looks like. I'm trying to edit just a little bit to make my way through this a little bit quicker. So anyway, uh, the first thing that we see in this very first story, the first few verses, is that uh, true faith recognizes authority. True faith recognizes authority. So the leaders of the temple, they enter the temple with Jesus' teaching. They find Jesus and they ask him, verse 23, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? To me, this seemed like a perfectly fair question. It's their temple, right? They're in charge of overseeing the temple, so to speak. I mean, really, it's his temple, but you get what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's their charge to take care of the temple, and this man has just walked in and overthrown the tables. It seems like a fair question. Like, who gave you the authority to do this? Like, who the heck do you think that you are? You might even say it a little bit differently, especially if you're a football coach. Anyways, Jesus goes on uh, to, to ask uh, a question He responds to their question with a question of his own. He says, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? Now, it would would appear that the main objection these religious leaders uh, have towards Jesus is that he's not got a position. Who are you to walk in here and act like you own the place? And and in fact, Jesus, he, he had no position I mean, his, his subjects called him, or his students, his pupils called him rabbi, but he had no official title. He was just a carpenter. Here, we're starting to see that Jesus' authority uh, actually pushed beyond his status or his rank. And, and notice this. I think this is a really important thing to notice about spiritual authority. Jesus' authority is recognized by its virtues, not because of its titles. And I think that we, there's a way in which we've gotten this wrong at times in the American church. We've said, if you go to seminary, if you get a degree, we can give you this title and therefore you have spiritual authority. But who gives spiritual authority? Heaven or man? And this is the key question that Jesus is posing to these religious leaders. See, one can have a title without God's anointing. One can have a title without man's recognition. But Jesus had God's anointing, right? Remember the scene, Matthew uh, chapter 2, the spirit descends like a dove on Jesus at his baptism. Do you recall that story? The voice of God is heard from the sky saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he also, though, in his life, because of his life, because of his testimony, because of the power and the consistency with which he lived, he, Jesus not only had God's anointing, but he also had man's recognition. The people knew that there was an authority behind him. In, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 29, it says that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who has authority and not like their Bible teachers. So Jesus was anointed by God and he was recognized by humans. The implication is that, uh, that the people that were listening to Jesus, they, they recognized his teaching to have more authority, not the same as, but more authority than the ones who had the authority on paper. Jesus' life, his anointing oozed to the extent that they're like, no, you are the one 
Who really knows what you're talking about? Spiritual authority, it's God-given and it's man-recognized. It's not man-made. It's not about a title or a piece of paper. So uh, Jesus' answer, uh, which was a question, it gets to the heart of the issue at hand here with the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders. See, they were just as jealous of John's popularity as they are now of Jesus' popularity. Remember, the, the, the religious leaders did not like what John was doing, right? Remember that? That's a story again from the beginning of Matthew. They come out to the desert to see what John is up to, and he calls them really nice words, right? He was really kind to them. No, not so much. He says, you brood of vipers. So John has challenged the religious leaders, just as Jesus has challenged the religious leaders. And the problem that is at hand here in the hearts of the religious leaders is pride. And so Jesus asked them, from heaven or from humans? Now, from heaven would have been a Jewish idiom uh, for a divine gift. So for Jesus to say, do you believe that John's ministry was from heaven is the same as saying, do you believe John's ministry really came from God? From humans would have been a Jewish idiom that they would have taken to mean evil. So Jesus gives them the choice. Did John's ministry come from God or is it evil? The, the inclusion of John into this debate is pretty powerful. It honors Jesus' uh, words in, in Matthew 11 where uh, Jesus called John the best man born of a woman. That's an incredible phrase, isn't it? So Jesus and John, as I've said before, they were homeboys. John's ministry. What, and what was John doing? What was the whole point of John's ministry? Not to point to himself. John the Baptist's whole point was to point to Jesus. We could all learn uh, something from the life of the greatest man born of a woman. So <clears throat> Jesus' question wasn't really much of a question. He had already affirmed the life and ministry of John the Baptist. So he's trapping these guys with the question that they tried to use to trap him. This is pretty incredible intellectual chess. But the bottom line is that Jesus is telling these leaders that they've missed John. And because they've missed John, they've also missed him. And this is a big mistake. So in order to illustrate Jesus' point about what the fruit of faith really ought to look like, he, he tells a parable about two sons. And, and in this parable, we're going to learn that true faith really does it. True faith not only talks the talk, true faith walks the walk. Can I get an amen? Don't we all really think this? We all believe and are offended when we see talk that doesn't walk the walk. It's so self-evident. Jesus says that true faith not only talks the talk, it walks the walk. Let's go to verse 28. True faith really does it. He says, what do you think? I love how he engages them with a question again. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. This son was, could have been my son. He says, I will not. But later, this son changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. This is the polite son. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. So Jesus' question, which of the two did what his father wanted? 
Well, the answer is obvious. It's the first son. And the religious leaders and the chief priests knew this, and they answered correctly. And here's the thing. True faith submits itself to authority. It's one thing to know who's in charge, and another thing altogether to actually submit to that authority. And this issue is pride. It's not just knowledge. I believe that we all know enough, probably. At least most of us don't have a knowledge problem. We have an obedience problem. At least that's what we see the religious leaders demonstrating here. The religious leaders, they seem to know what's going on with the legitimacy of the life and testimony of John and the life and the testimony of Jesus. This is why they didn't know how to answer the question. They're like, well, if we answer this way, then the people are going to get us. And if we answer this way, then the people are going to get us. Either way, we're trapped, right? They know, but their problem is hard hearts. And in fact, their answer of saying we don't know is an actual lie. They do know, but they say we don't know to Jesus' question as a cop-out. See, they've already rejected life and testimony of John because of jealousy and pride. Their hearts are hard. They don't want to do the thing they really need to do. This is the problem that Jesus diagnoses. So Jesus, he sees right through their cop-out which helps us to contrast or to see the contrast between the legitimate heavenly authority of Jesus and the illegitimate humanly authority of Israel's leaders. And this will be fleshed out over the course of the next seven stories, including today's. But look, here's the thing. I think we can all agree that faith without action is not the ticket. Faith without action is hypocrisy. We all hate it. But it's a reality for us. Nonetheless, it's something that we struggle with because walking the walk is harder than just talking the talk. You know what I'm saying. Let's take fitness, for example. I have a a bachelor's degree in kinesiology. I have a master's degree in kinesiology. So I'm supposed to be some sort of fitness expert, right? I uh, I have this shirt now. Maybe you've seen me wear it. It's a green shirt. It says, I'm into fitness. It has a picture of a taco. And it says, fitting in this taco in my mouth. And that's, if I'm honest, that has become all too true about my life. See, it's one thing to say you're into fitness. But we can look at you. We can watch your life and see by the 10th taco that you're not all that into fitness. You, you get what I'm trying to say. If you're really into fitness, you act a certain way. You eat like egg whites and yogurt. I don't know. Anyways, we won't get into that. Did you know there's actually research that show that, you know, we have all kinds of diets in our, in our culture, right? We got the keto diet, the paleo diet, South Beach diet, Atkins diet, high fat diet, low fat diet, et cetera, et cetera, right? There, there's actually research that shows that all these diets will work with one key caveat. What do you think the caveat is? You actually have to follow them. These diets work if you actually follow them. I can tell you that most of my middle school students, they know what they're supposed to eat. Their problem is not knowledge. The problem is follow through. I know very well how to take care of myself. The problem is not knowledge. It's it's follow through. Have you, have you, you know, some of you grew up in Christian culture. I grew up, you know, in the church and there was this culture of just like coming to faith by praying the prayer. You know what I'm saying? That like, well, have you prayed the prayer? You'd say, so-and-so prayed the prayer, and now they're 
a Christian. It was phrased this way sometimes, uh, maybe you, you're familiar with this, have you asked Jesus into your heart? I don't know if that's terrible prayer or not, but here's the deal. It takes a lot more than just a prayer. It takes a lot more than just talk to follow Jesus. And I think there's a way in which this type of formulaic Christianity has uh, led some into a talk without the walk. And, and if we're honest, like we can't just point fingers, we've done it too. We're guilty of this too. If that's the one thing we learned last week, that we should be self-critical as a church. We should be constantly deconstructing and reconstructing so that we look like the real thing. We want to be a church that doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk. We want to live out the truth that we know. We want to really be into fitness, not just talk about it. You get what I'm saying? So this brings us to a good question, though, because sometimes we just eat too many tacos. I could talk about that. Maybe that'll be another sermon. I could talk about tacos a long time. Anyways, my kids, my kids get frustrated with my love for tacos. We're having tacos for my birthday. But this, uh, this, brings us, uh, this brings us to a good question. What do you do when you haven't walked the talk? Don't we all do this, right? I mean, if it was easy to just do all the things that we know we're supposed to do, we wouldn't need the person that we're here to worship this morning, Jesus. So, so what, do we, what do we do when we don't do it? And so the third point here is, is bringing us towards response, and that's, you know, uh, true faith repents when it doesn't really do it. True faith repents when it doesn't walk the talk. Jesus said to them, this is verse 31, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Say what? Who's entering the kingdom of God ahead of us? Wow. Verse 32, For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. So who is really doing it according to Jesus? Who is really walking the talk? The tax collectors and the prostitutes. This is super convicting for those of us with our butts in the seats on a Sunday morning. It's like, wait a minute, these are the worst offenders in Jewish society. And these are the ones that Jesus says are actually getting it? The, the financial swindling tax collectors who are ripping off their countrymen, vowing their allegiance to Rome all for the dollar. The prostitutes who, like, they're not just adulterous, they've, like, commercialized adultery. You get the point. This is like whoever the worst of the worst is for you in today's culture. These would be the people that Jesus is pointing towards. How can this be the way to righteousness? It just doesn't seem right. And, and it's not. The actual tax collecting and the actual prostitution is not the way to righteousness. I think we can all see between the lines. We understand that that, that is not the way. But what is the way? What are the tax collectors and the prostitutes able to see that the religious leaders aren't seeing? Look at the very last words, verse 32. Repent and believe. True faith repents when it fails to walk the walk. And evidently, this is it. Remember John's whole message. John didn't come preaching saying, hey, this is Jesus. He really loves you. 
John came saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Dang. Evidently, according to John, who Jesus is pointing us towards, the whole point is repentance. The whole point is pointing to Jesus and his righteousness. Martin Luther said this, forgive me for using this quote one too many times. Repentance is the whole life of the believer. We never graduate. The religious leaders, the chief priests, the ones in charge, they thought they had it all down. The difference between them and the tax collectors and the prostitutes is their recognition of their problem with God. We never graduate from a life of repentance. We've all got things to repent of. We've all got ways that we've failed to exhibit true faith where we failed to walk the walk. So over and over again, we learn that we, we need to live a life of repentance, which brings me to the time in our service when uh, we respond to what we've heard. Because again, it's not just about knowledge. It's about what do we do with the knowledge that we know and there's no greater response than a call to repentance maybe you're like man this is my first Sunday Noel are you for real right now or I've missed a couple weeks are you sure you're gonna call to repentance right now good old-fashioned John the Baptist style repent for the kingdom of God is at hand but remember uh, John's message of repentance is not just a prescription It's first and foremost a call to a person, Jesus, the one who has the authority to do something about the problem we find ourselves in, the one who lived the perfect life that we can't live, haven't been able to live, the only one who ever really did it, the only one who ever really walked the walk, the one who died the death that we deserved to die, that I deserve to die. Tax collector, prostitute, religious leader, homeschool teacher, even the high school principals get saved. Sorry, I added that. I don't know if that was a spirit or not. And in so doing, in Jesus dying in our place, he made it possible for us to be made new. This is the good news of the gospel. Not just that you've sinned and Jesus died for your sin, but because Jesus conquered death, you too can conquer death. How? By getting it all right? Good luck with that. But by repentance. Remember the message of John, repent for the kingdom of God is near. This morning, I I just want to invite all of you who have put your faith in Jesus to come to the table of repentance. And as you receive the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus, repent. Now, repentance doesn't just mean to confess your sin. Repentance means to decide to live differently. And this is what we're doing. It's a turn of course that needs to happen again and again and again. Hey, we're so glad you joined us. 
but don't forget to stay connected either through our website, our social media, or the Church Center app. Or you know what? Better yet, come join us in person on a Sunday morning. See you soon.